everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. everyone. Greetings from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, As mentioned before, I'm pastor at Bethel Cincinnati Church, and I just want to encourage you. Listen, my wife and I, we have signed up for this Every Nation Go conference, and so if you're wondering why are we making such a big deal of it, it's because it's going to be an amazing time of just being with family, literally from around the world. And so some of you may not have come from a big family. Some of you uh, may be from a big uh, family as well, but I'm just letting you know that you are a part of a bigger family than you realize, and it's going to be an opportunity to see that. So anyway, um, that was my shameless plug for today. Today, I am given the privilege of continuing a series that you all have been in entitled Long Story Short. And one of the things I love about this is that this gives us the opportunity to be able to see the Bible not simply as individual stories with great truths in them, but to be able to connect the story of the Bible together. And so if you want a a word to attach to that, it's called the meta-narrative of Scripture. I know last week you learned about progressive revelation. Now today you get to learn about meta-narrative of Scripture. Let me just give you a little example to help explain um, what I mean by that. So, if um, just imagine you're watching a television show, and as you're watching the television show, um, there's a commercial that comes on, which I know a lot of you don't have to deal with commercials now. But there's a commercial that comes on, and it's a 60-second clip of a movie trailer. And as the movie trailer is going on, uh, you see this exciting movie that you're looking forward to. What's some movies that you guys are looking forward to that's coming up? Captain Marvel? All right, well, at least three of us. So, so with Captain Marvel, imagine you see like some, some clips and you see some, some highlights and it's exciting. This looks like it's going to be amazing. You go back to watching your show. But then you decide in the weekend, you go and you actually watch the movie. And then you come back And then you're watching your show again next week and you see that movie trailer come up again. You're going to watch the movie trailer different than you watched the movie trailer the first time, the second time around. Why is that? Because you're able to say, oh, that's the part that happens right before this scene is about to happen. You can connect the movie trailer to a larger story of what's going on. And so when you think about it, a lot of times, We read the Bible like movie trailers. We see certain clips of things that are exciting, that are interesting. We learn some truths, but unfortunately, many times we're unable to connect that movie trailer clip to the entire movie. The movie is what you would call the meta-narrative of Scripture. And so when we've been looking in this series, long story short, the hope is that we're able to see Scripture from Genesis to Revelation as God working throughout the course of history to bring redemption. Because one thing that's important for us to realize is that God is up to something. God is up to something, and the hope is not simply to realize, oh, isn't this great that God has been doing this throughout history? But how do we ask the question, how does our story fit within his story? 
Because it's not just good enough for us to understand historically what has taken place, but for us to ask the question even further, God, how can I allow for my story to enter your story? Many times when we fail to understand the fact that God is up to something, what we'll think is that, God, I've got a life and I've got a storyline in my life, and God, how can you fit within my storyline? But the question is not, how can I get God to fit within my storyline? The question is, God, how does my life fit within what you're doing throughout the course of history? And so as we're going to understand God's story, it's, it's really difficult to understand the story of the Bible without understanding the story of Abraham. And we're going to look at the story of Abraham starting in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look in verses 1 through 3 as we begin. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now I'll be reading from the New American Standard here. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to entitle this sermon today, The Promise. We've sung about it, we've probably heard about it, but today my hope is that we would be able to trust God's promise and understand God's promise in a greater way. So let's begin in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that we've been able to experience so far. God, I thank you for the wonderful music and worship. I thank you for the, 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 the greetings and all that's taken place. So I'm asking even in this moment that you would open up our hearts for what you want to speak to us. God, we need more than information. We need transformation. And I'm asking, God, that you would transform us from the inside out by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. How many of you guys have ever heard of the escape game? You guys ever heard of that? And I know they have different versions of it. But we have recently had an escape game that opened up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so I had an opportunity to bring some of our staff to to, to go and experience this. And so, uh, for those who are a little bit unfamiliar with what the escape game is all about, it's basically you have 60 minutes to follow clues with a group of people with you, and if you follow the clues and you work it right, at the end, before 60 minutes are up, you escape, hence the name, the escape game. And if you win, if you escape out of the, the, the whatever challenge they give you after 60 minutes, you get a great sticker that says, I escaped, and so what you see is people there take pictures and they get their group together and they have these, these, these nice photos with these stickers that says, I escaped, and they can put it on their bumper sticker just to let you know how um, intelligent they are. And so, uh, unfortunately, the group that I was part of, we got really close, but we didn't quite escape. Um, now, to my credit, not that this matters to you guys, but I had mostly kids on my team, and I'm not saying that that means anything, but it is what it is. And so we got real close, and I was surprised to find that we also got a sticker. But instead of the bumper sticker saying, I escaped, here's what it said. I almost escaped. <laughs> now, I have to let you know that this will never make it to the bumper of my car. <laughs> Could you imagine somebody with a, a bumper sticker? My child almost made the honor roll. <laughs> Or, I almost served in the military. 
But if you think about it, this is what a lot of people's spiritual life looks like. I almost got committed to Jesus. I almost took that mission trip. I almost signed up to go to the GO conference. Okay, I'll let that go. I almost, shameless plug, I almost did a bunch of things. I almost was committed. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what's on the other side of almost? What happens when we jump both feet in? Now, when we look in Genesis chapter 12, God invites Abraham into his story. But in order for Abraham to be a part of this story in the way that God was inviting him to do it, it was going to require Abraham to go beyond just almost. He was going to have to be all the way in and trust in God's promises. And so, now, by the way, let me just say this. You'll see in Genesis chapter 12, he's referred to as Abram. The, word, the name Abram means exalted father. Later on, Abram is renamed Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So we're, we'll, I'll be using Abram, Abraham kind of interchangeably, so just to make sure we're on the same page. Now, for us to appreciate just what God is inviting Abraham into in Genesis chapter 12, it's important that we understand what's taking place in Genesis chapter 1 through 11. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just take a little bit of time to give us some context, help us to understand the movie so we can better understand the movie trailer. Is that okay? So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the story of creation. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because you heard a powerful message last week for those who were there and those who were not there, go on the podcast and, and listen to it. But you were able to hear a story about understanding creation and understanding how God's handiwork. By the way, David, wherever you are, I love that analogy that you used about the, the, um, the artist and all that. That was great. I might use that in Cincinnati. So we, we won't tell anybody. But anyway... One of the things we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, at the end of creation, God said that everything he created was very good. But we look at the world that we live in today in 2019, and how many of you know that everything in the world today is not all good? So something happened between Genesis 1 and 2 and the world that we live in today. What happened? Chapter 3 of Genesis gives us a little bit of the context. So in Genesis chapter 3, what you have is the story of what we call the fall. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God gave a command to Adam. And his command, if you look in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, he said, you may freely eat from all, what did he say? Let me just not paraphrase it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. So that's God being kind because he's given them a warning. Genesis chapter 3, what happens is there's deception that takes place from the serpent, and as a result, they disobeyed. Now, the way that they got deceived was a way that many of us get deceived today. Make us feel as if God is holding something out from us. And so if you feel like God is holding out from you, you'll feel like you'll have to go outside of God's will in order to get that which truly satisfies you. That's what Eve did, and then Eve took and she gave to her husband, and he ate. Now, let's look at what happens starting in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Again, this is all the setup. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Make note of that. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? I want you to understand what's taking place here. Because of disobedience, what this was showing is that they were not willing to trust God's word. And so instead of trusting what God said, they trusted what they felt. It looked desirable. It looked pleasing to the eye. So they disobeyed. When disobedience took place, what happened is that there was a breach in the relationship between God and his creation. And we are still feeling the effects of that breach today. Now, what happened was Adam sewed fig leaves together, which what you'll find is that they didn't make really good covering for human beings. And then as a result, when they heard God coming, instead of running towards God, what did they do? They ran away from God and they hid from the presence of the Lord. God called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? So here's what we have. We have God the creator going after man, mankind, and you have mankind hiding and covering themselves with fig leaves running from the presence of God. This sets up the context for the rest of human history. Man runs from God, God runs after man. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we get a hint at how God is going to deal with this issue because it tells us the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them because he realized that fig leaves did not do a good job of covering you up. And so man's attempt to cover up his shame and cover up his sin was not good enough. And so what God said, he was going to allow for the innocent to die for the guilty. And because the innocent was going to die for the guilty, that man in his sin and guiltiness and shame was going to be covered up because God was going to do for man what man was unable to do for himself. Now this sets up because starting in chapter 4, you start seeing the effects of that sin as how now it's infiltrated into humanity. Not only do you see Adam and Eve being removed from the Garden of Eden, but in chapter 4, we see our very first murder taking place. Cain murders Abel because of jealousy. And then we see that the wickedness does not stop there because by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, we see some of the saddest commentary in all of the Bible. You guys still with me? Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he grieved in his heart. I know this messes with some of our theology, but God actually regretted that he made man because the wickedness on earth was that great. So God says, you know what, I'm going to wipe out all of mankind, and he's going to do it by sending a flood. But even in judgment, God shows mercy because he decides to spare Noah and his family. And so, and all the animals and critters and creatures that went along with him on the boat. That's where you get the story of Noah's ark. So in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, we have the story of Noah. God starts again with Noah's family. But guess what? Just like a disease that you try to eradicate, eradicate Eventually what happens is that sinful disease comes back up again and begins to spread, and it doesn't take long before we start seeing wickedness all over again. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, we see the Tower of Babel. 
And basically, long story short, this was a monument to the arrogance of man. So by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, it looks as if this whole thing of this creation and mankind, it seems like it was an utter failure. I know sometimes people will argue about the evolution, about evolution, but this is a picture of de-evolution. We see the downward spiral that takes place. Genesis chapter 3, there is disobedience to God. Genesis chapter 4, we have murder. Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, we see wickedness all over the land. Genesis chapter 11, we see arrogance. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, we're asking what in the world is going to happen now? It doesn't seem like things are working out too well. And what we'll find is that in Genesis chapter 12, God initiates the conversation with Abraham. See, most of the time when someone is in a relationship and something in the relationship goes awry, it's the responsibility to the one who made things wrong to go and make things right. But what we'll find in Scripture is that even though God was the one who was done wrong, God is the initiator of reconciliation. And he initiates this with Abraham, and he comes to him, and he gives him a promise. How many of you guys are glad that God knows how to change the narrative? There was a narrative from Genesis 3 to Genesis chapter 11 that was going wrong. God steps in and says, I am going to change the narrative, and I am going to basically do this through a man named Abraham. Now, what this shows us in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is that God has not given up on his creation. Most of us would have probably said, you know what, I've had enough, I'm good, let's wipe them out. God was fine already. It wasn't like God was lonely in heaven, like, man, I just need some company. He was fine. But God has not given up on humanity because God still desires to be a blessing and bless humanity. Contrary to what some people believe, God's heart and God's desire is to bless you, not to curse you. He's not looking for an excuse to curse you. Some people say, you know, if I'm wrong, God can strike me down. Well, you know what? God had plenty of reasons yesterday to strike you down if he was looking for them. God looks for opportunities to be a blessing. He is looking to bless us. But what, he, what we find is that not only does God desire to bless us, but the way that he's going to bless us is through the lineage of a man named Abraham. And so Abraham had an opportunity to enter into the story, but it was going to require that he was willing to jump both feet in and buy in and to obey God's word to be a part of the promise. Because part of the way that you know you trust God is that you obey God. And in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12, here's what it says. Chapter 12, verse 4 says this. This is deep theology here. You guys ready for it? It's deep. We've already learned a couple of big words, meta-narrative, progressive revelation. Here's a big thing. Obedience. You guys ready for Y'all wrote that down? It says, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. God made a promise. God wasn't willing to give up on his creation. God's desire was to be a blessing to, um, to the people of the world, but he was going to do that through Abram, and Abram had to be willing to jump both feet in. Now, when I look at the story of Abraham, I look at it and I say, man, that's great. God was able to use him to do some great things. 
and God was able to be a blessing through Abraham. But if we really want to understand the story, then it causes us to have to ask some questions about our own lives as well. And I want to just deal with three questions that, I, that, that we have to answer if we're going to enter into the story of being a blessing, of God not only blessing us, but being a blessing through us as well. Here's the first question that we see in the life of Abraham. Are we willing to trust God when we don't have all the answers? Will we trust God when we don't have all the answers? Now, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 is a great chapter on faith. And in verse 8, it talks about Abraham as one of the people of faith that we can emulate in our lives. And here's what it says. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Have you guys ever had those times in your life where there are certain passages in the Bible that just really spoke to you more than others? It's not that I hadn't read it before, but <clears throat> there was a time when I was finishing college and I was finishing, um, I, I played football um, at Vanderbilt and then I played my fifth year as a grad student at Tennessee State. And so uh, I, was, I was looking to figure out what my next step is. And you know that question that people ask you when you're a senior in college or a senior in high school and there's the question you either love or you hate depending on how things are lined up in your life? So, what do you have planned next? And, and that was the question that people were constantly asking. And so I can remember there was a certain part of me that was really feeling like I was called to go into ministry, but I had some things that I was nervous about because I didn't know what it was going to look like. And I remember this was a verse that God spoke to me in, and I underlined this in my Bible, and I said, I will stand on this. Back in 2002, I remember writing that. I will stand on this. And here's why it stood out to me. Because the last part said, and he went out not knowing where he was going. See, there's times when we have to trust the promises of God, even when we don't have all the answers of what it's going to look like down the road. Now, I know there was a different time frame back in Abraham's time, but I imagine that people happen to be people no matter where people are. And it wasn't just Abraham that had to, to, to go because Abraham had a family, a rather large family. And so when he was going, could you imagine some of the questions that you would have asked if you were, if you were his wife, Sarah? All right, um, so Abram, where are we going again? You know, I'm not quite sure where we're going. Okay, how are we going to know when we get there? You know what? God's just going to let us know when we get there. Is there going to be food? Is there going to be a hotel? What are the people going to be like? I mean, now maybe those questions weren't articulated, but you have to guess that people are people no matter where people are. So even if Abraham had enough faith for himself, the fact that there were other people that were going along with him, any of you had to trust God when there are other people's lives that were on the line? It's, it's one thing to have to trust God with yourself. But it's another thing to say, you know what? I'm going to go to Indianapolis and plant a church. Okay? Is, is there already a church there? Um, that, well, no, we're going to start one. Okay? Uh, where are you going to meet? I don't know yet. 
Who's going to be on your, your team? I don't know yet. How are you going to get things set up? I don't know yet. There's just a lot of questions that you have to, I can say that because I happen to be a part of a couple of church plants myself. And what you realize is that if you wait till you have all the answers before you obey God, you will miss the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. But here's what Abraham did have. Abraham had a word. Because faith begins where God's will is made known. And he was able to trust the promise. And so he had a word, and that alone was enough for him to say, I will go and obey. So will you trust God when you don't have all the answers? But here's the second question that we have to ask. Will you trust God when it gets uncomfortable? Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Now how many of you love the promise? I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to use you in such a way that through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Anybody love for that to be said about you? Okay, nobody. All right. I I would actually be encouraged if, if God said that to me, which he does. I'll show that later. But here's the thing. We can forget what it said in verse 1 of chapter 12. What does it say in Genesis 12, 1? Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Here's what he's saying. Abraham, I got, a, here's a, I got good news and bad news. Here's the good news. I've got a great thing that I'm doing, and I'm going to be a blessing to all the nations, and you get to be a part of it. Great. Here's the challenging news. You're going to have to leave everything that's familiar and comfortable for you in order for you to be a part of it. <laughs> Any church planners here? <clears throat> And so there was a willingness. He had to say, I have to leave that which is comfortable. What happens, many times we start off in faith. God, you gave me this word. You know what? I believe it. You said it. You promised it. That's it. And we step out in faith until we realize, oh, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging. It means that I'm going to have to do some things that I'm not comfortable with. It means that I'm going to have to get up a little bit earlier than I'm normally having to get up. It means that I'm going to have to step out of my comfort zone. Listen, if you follow Jesus, he will lead you into comfort, and then he'll lead you right out of that comfort zone. (laughs) And it's the same Jesus leading you. Don't you love Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He leads me beside the still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And and, you you just feel so encouraged, right? You know, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley. Ho, ho, how do we get there? Like, (laughs) I was just in green pastures a second ago. How did I get to the valley of shadow and death? I, I, I was just over here. But if you follow Jesus, he will lead you into those pastures it's, I, I heard a theologian say it like this. He knows how to, um, to, to comfort the afflicted, but afflict the uncomfortable. Yeah. Come on. And there's something about walking with Jesus that'll lead us right out of our comfort zones. And sometimes it's not the devil. That's right. That's right. That's right. I rebuke that spirit that's making me uncomfortable. No, no, that's God. <laughs> God is telling you to get out of your comfort zone. But listen, if we really trust, what was that question that Amy asked earlier when she was taking up the, um, um, the, the, the offering moment? She, she said, do I really believe that what I believe is really real? I probably butchered that, but you said something like that. Do I, do I believe that it's really real? 
And there comes points where we have to ask, do I really believe that? God will lead us out of our comfort zone. So will we trust God when we don't have all the answers? Will we trust God when it makes us uncomfortable? But here's the third question that I want to deal with. Will we trust God when it looks impossible? See, God was telling them that through them, and we see other words that were given to Abraham and Sarah later on, that they were going to be a family through whom God builds a nation, a people. But here's the problem. They didn't have any children at the time. And Abraham was 75 years old. And his wife was old as well. Not saying that if someone in here is 75 that you're old, but I'm just old for, for bearing children. And they were going to have to wait another 25 years before they actually have their child. How do you trust God when he's calling you to do something that looks impossible? Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. How, how did that happen? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sometimes when we don't understand the how, we can still trust the who. I don't know how this is going to work out, God. But if it's you that's calling me into doing this, you're faithful. You're faithful to your word. You're faithful to your promise. You're faithful to what you've already said. And so, God, I will trust your word. And you know what happened? 25 years after Genesis 12, Sarah is pregnant, and she gives birth to a son and you know what his son's, their son's name was? Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. You know why they called him laughter? Because it was a crazy idea that God would give them children at the age that they were in. But see, God is not limited by our impossibilities. And so Isaac grows up, marries Rebecca. They have twins named Esau and Jacob. Jacob is the same one who wrestled with God, and he's later renamed Israel. Israel has 12 sons, also known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And it is through this lineage that the Messiah would ultimately come. And so if you understand the story of Jesus, the Old Testament tells the story that the New Testament fulfills. And so Jesus now comes as a result of God's use, using Abraham and Sarah through Isaac, through Jacob, named Israel, through the 12 tribes of Israel. And God reveals who he is. He reveals his name. He reveals his law in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. And then he reveals who he is. And then later on, he reveals his son, Jesus Christ. In the very first verse in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The record 
of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Anybody love reading genealogies? So-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. Beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so, right? But here's what it says. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I want you to understand how the story fits together. From Genesis 3 to Genesis chapter 11, we see the downward spiral of sin, of humanity caused by sin. In chapter 12, God says, I am going to change the narrative. I am going to be a blessing to those who have walked away on me. And I'm going to do that through a man named Abraham. Abraham had to be willing to trust God when it didn't make sense all the time, when it made him uncomfortable, and when it looked impossible. But God honored his faith. And because of that, God used Abraham to bring about his promise, which was ultimately going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, now the son of Abraham, has become a blessing by which all of us now can partake with Abraham in his promises. So what that means is that God's desire is not only to bless us, but now just as God was a blessing through Abraham, God's desire is to be a blessing through you to the city of Indianapolis, to be a blessing through you to your family, to the nations of the world, if we're willing to trust God and jump both feet in and not say, God, I will almost obey you but I'm both feet in. Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful. I'm grateful not only for the fact that your desire is to be a blessing to us, but I'm grateful that you even desire to bless others through us. But God, I realize that what that means for us in this place is that we're gonna have to be willing to trust you and to trust your promise. And Lord, I pray for the people in this room right now. Perhaps for some of us, this is more than just nice information. Perhaps some of you are faced with the reality of, are you going to trust me? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Do you believe that it's enough, that it's real enough that you'll put your trust in God? For some of you, that might mean taking a step to say, God, I'm willing to trust you fully with my life. For others, it may mean, God, you're calling me to trust you in this decision. I know that you're telling me to do this, but I'm fearful of doing this. If God was faithful back then, he's faithful today. He didn't stop being faithful. He's today, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If that's where you are, I want you right where you're sitting to say to God, do business with God and say, God, I trust you. I will trust you. Many times we come to God, we'll worship with one hand lifted up and one hand behind our back. What is that you're holding on to? Nothing, Lord. I'm worshiping you. And the question is, Will you trust me enough 
to surrender both hands. If you're not willing to trust God with that which you value most, then you don't trust God. It might be a relationship. It might be a family member. I don't know. But allow the Holy Spirit to be the supernatural translator into your own situation. But Lord, we want to be a part of your story. But we don't get to be a part unless we're willing to trust you. Not in the way that you want us to be a part. So help us to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and